Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends. Where you found it, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content, you're going to find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media, at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodrich, and I am not joined once again this week by Kyle Carpenter. He is over the sea and across the pond, uh, still in England on a uh, quick jaunt with his Tejas fellows. But don't, but don't worry, we will meet our monthly Tejas Brave quota because we... Have in the house today, Hudson Standish of Horns 247, uh, on to talk a little recruiting. We brought him in. Talk a little recruiting, just kind of the, the Archmas aftermath and previewing the end of this dead period and what he anticipates seeing from Texas uh, on the other side of this dead period as they head toward the fall. We'll also, I say we, I, will bang the drum a little bit at the end, and obviously there's some down the 40 content for you as well. So as we promised last week, we are here with a recruiting update. Kyle and I, uh, well, Kyle's not here, but but we are just dangerous enough to know uh, some stuff. But we like to bring on experts every now and again to uh, actually tell us what we need to know, what we should be talking about. And so the man himself, Hudson Standish of Horns 247, has given us his, uh, his some time, and he is here to help us update uh, and keep you in the loop on all the recruiting news that's been happening and what's coming down the pike. So, man, Hudson, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I appreciate you a lot for having me on. Um, it's exciting times. It's uh, been a little hectic uh, with Mike on vacation for a week, I think, when Texas ended up with, you know, double-digit commits when he was out. But really exciting. I mean, the fan base just has to be thrilled. This is wild. You know, I've been following – recruiting in Texas football longer than I care to admit, but uh, I've, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like this. It's been uh, fast and furious, and, you know, the joke on if you're a 247 person, the joke is when Mike goes on vacation, things seem to blow up. So uh, true true to form, things blew up. So maybe we can thank Mike for this. Yeah, exactly. When I was taking the job, I used to work at uh, Inside Texas and on three. And when I took the job at 24-7, Nick Harris, who ended up moving on to Rivals in a national job, just kind of joked with me like, look, I know that, you know, people think it's a joke, but like when Mike goes on vacation, just be prepared, have every commitment story ready because it will go down. And 
sure enough, I mean, I hit him up like two days into the uh, vacation was like, look, is this anything? And he was basically Nick was just like, look, you've had it worse than I ever uh, had on the vacation. But I mean, goodness gracious, it was awesome. Like, it was so exciting. It was that mix from me personally of a little hectic because you're tracking all this stuff by yourself. But, oh, my God, the love, you know, three five stars, uh, countless other priorities that Texas got in the class. It's unreal. Like I said, it's been, you know, I've been following Texas recruiting since the, you know, the 2000s when, when, you know, there was just one site in the, in the game. And so it's, uh, it's fun to see as a Texas fan. So let's, let's just stop there for a second and talk. Like we all knew that the arch effect was going to be a thing, right? We knew it was going to be a thing, uh, but maybe I underestimated it. I, I didn't anticipate it being this big. Texas saw what, like nine players commit within a week, including, you know, two additional five stars. Like, did you anticipate the arch? effect being as big as it was or, or uh, was this bigger than we anticipated i think if anybody tells you that they were thinking it was this level they're lying to you and <laughs> um like everybody knew it was going to be big but it almost got to the point where we were talking about it so much to where it was like okay are we maybe even overstating a little bit how big of this is going to be is this just becoming a cliche because um i'm sure you'll remember but like in, in, you know, different circumstances, but when the nation's number one player, Quinn Ewers, and originally committed to Texas, there was a lot of talk, of, okay, well, there's going to be this wave of commitments. And again, different circumstances, but Arch absolutely delivered and then, and then some. But I do think the Texas staff deserves some credit to where, you know, it's not all solely Arch. Like they've been putting on fantastic official visit weekends. And the timing certainly helped with that last mega visit. But like a kid like Leona Leifau, who was a major recruiting win, uh, the linebacker out of Kahuku, Hawaii, that was a major recruiting win over um, Oregon and Utah. And sure, he gave a nice quote about Arch, but that was totally Jeff Choten, the defensive staff. So it's not solely Arch, but that momentum definitely gave Texas like a you know, bit of a NOS boost, I guess, is the best way to put it. I love it. So, like, as we talk about that, like, what is, in your mind, you know, there were going in, I, I read a lot of writers talking about, there, there are, like, four different ceilings for this class, right? There's, like, arch in a good season, arch in a not good season, good season, no arch, and then, you know, bad season, no arch is kind of the the pits. So, like, as we as we sit now on the cusp of, like, okay, so checkbox, arch is in the boat. Like, what's the ceiling for this class in your mind? I'm writing about that right now no joke of just like the changing expectations and I like the way you put it because it is like the I think I guess four different quadrants of you know good season bad season arch no arch I think the highest ceiling um, arches in the boat and Texas looks good on the field I think the highest ceiling is like number two or number three in the country when you look at it unless they're going to take like 30, 31 kids. I just don't see them finishing um, after National Signing Day 2 as the number one class in the country. Like the math just kind of doesn't add up when you look at the crazy classes that Ohio State, Notre Dame, and likely Alabama will um, end up with. But I think top three is reasonable. And I've mentioned this a couple times, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I almost think maybe it's even more important than just finishing number one at the end 
I think if Texas can grab a couple of um, summer commitments and enter the season with the number one class, I kind of think that that matters a little bit more than uh, even finishing with the number one class. And I know it maybe sounds a little crazy, but my thoughts there are that going into the Alabama game, having that narrative boost of, okay, Texas has the number one player in the class for the number 2020 for the 2023 cycle. And then if they add some other, another five-star two, or if they, you know, are able to jump to number one, then the framing is, okay, Steve Sarkeesian and this program is fully on the right track when you have these marquee matchups against Alabama and all the recruits are there. And again, the messaging is just, they have the number one class in 23. They're building towards something, um, which I think would help a lot. And that's something that, you know, recruits, um, I think, would pay attention to on TV more than come February when, you know, the dust finally settles. I think that, I mean, that that makes sense to me. You you would know, you know more than I would, but it absolutely checks out that, like, creating a narrative for recruiting is almost just as important as anything else that happens. I mean, we saw it a year ago with A&M. They had this narrative of their building this historic class and guys wanted to be a part of it. And so I think creating the mythical nature of a class, you know, Texas having that number one class heading into it, you create, you know, create that story of Texas is building, Texas is building, get on the boat. And, um, you know, I, I talked to a couple of other recruiting guys and being able to almost use that to, to put some pressure on kids to get in the boat earlier rather than later. Uh, is huge. Oh yeah, and that's already happening right now. Like, there, a big reason why you saw so many commitments was because, as one source kind of put it, like Arch gave them the entire staff that needed leverage to be like, "Look, kids are wanting to get in the class. You're a priority for us, but there's no more waiting. If you wanted to wait till October, like, sorry, but you know, it's right now. And guess what? A lot of the kids responded to it, but." Um, you know, a Texas with no arch, you kind of can't strong arm a lot of those kids because <laughs> no. they're just like, okay, then what? You'll drop me? Like, you know, so it, it's oh. it's really exciting. And so sorry for going super long on this no, question. Man, but top three, I think, is the safe ceiling. And without arch, I, I would have said it would be, you know, somewhere like eight to ten. So it's a, it's a pretty wide uh, delta. Anybody who knows anything about recruiting and how to build a program, stacking top five classes is the way to, to build your program. So uh, a couple of those back to back and things start to look rosy for Texas. So I think my, my next question is like, what do you think are like the biggest questions coming out of like we're, we're in a dead period now and that, that started uh, July 1st at midnight or 1201. So like what are your biggest questions as Texas is getting ready to come out of that dead period and kind of have that last little push uh, before they start focus on, focusing on what happens on the field? I think the biggest questions are how many guys can they get in the class before the season starts? When we've talked to um, sources or just kind of random people in the know, you do get the feeling that they want the bulk of this class done. That way they can really just focus on the season in a true kind of make or break fashion. You know, you have your priority type guys like your Anthony Hill uh, out of Denton Ryan, your Malik Muhammad out of South Oak Cliff in Dallas, um, JV and Tobiano out of Arlington Martin, who are considering other schools. Anthony Hill's down to just Texas and Texas A&M, but all kind of seem to have that Texas versus Texas A&M battle. Both schools are hosting end of the month of July, uh, either barbecues or pool parties or whatever yeah. they're calling the recruiting <laughs> events. And it'll be interesting to see if Texas can keep 
these positive trend lines through both schools recruiting events, or maybe you start to hear more from sources of, oh, they really like Texas A&M, and it starts becoming a little bit more even. Um, I think those are the biggest questions of just like those, those elite defensive prospects that Texas is after. Does the positive trend line hold or do we see a little bit more fluctuation uh, as they visit other campuses? And maybe, you know, the heat from the arch commitment dies off a little bit if it can. I mean, you know, the the Mannings probably could could fly arch out for a pool party if they really wanted to at the end of the month. But we'll uh, have a conversation about that later. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly kind of am expecting him to uh, be there. And I think that Texas is going to heavily use that of like, a, yo, you're an elite target. Come hang out with Arch Manning and kind of have that as a little bit of a, a trump card. But, I mean, you know how Arch Manning is. It's not like I can text him and be like, hey, you're going to be at the pool party, right? Like, it doesn't exactly work <laughs> yeah. that way. No, nobody will know until that guy with Flight Tracker shows up on Twitter on, on the Thursday before. Like, yep, the Mannings are on their way. It'll be weird. But, and, and I think, you know, with what you all have reported about, you know, Cooper being in, in Anthony Hill's parents' ears and that whole, all of those things, it, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to see uh, them them squeezing as, as the time uh, passes. So, no, definitely. So one of the questions I always like to ask, it, and one of the things that Kyle and I talk about jokingly is like, you know, when you look at Texas's class right now, there are guys that, that are probably going to see rises in the fall as they get more tape and they get some more development. And, you know, we like to tag guys as burn orange media conspiracy candidates, right? The guys that when the other message boards are screaming about Texas's recruiting rankings, who's your guy that's in the class right now that you could see getting that big bump and, and really, um, improving his stock this year that the fans maybe aren't talking about. I, I, I love this. So one candidate for sure. And somebody who I've written about, I, I've written about this kid and I wrote uh, Trevor Gooseby, the offensive tackle out of Melissa high school. I remember seeing him against Argyle um, in the fall, I believe early October ish. It was a, you know, top five for a district game. And I just loved his frame. And so I wrote about him and was like, hey, this kid's a sleeper. And I remember getting really excited of just like, yes, he picked up SMU. Like colleges are after him. And now he's a Texas commit. So fun how it goes full circle. Gooseby is the perfect uh, BOMC candidate because he has the frame that the evaluators are looking for. Uh, Gabe Brooks, who does uh, 24-7s, um, scouting and a lot of Texas related stuff loves to say that out of every offensive tackle that says they're six, six, like one or two are actually, when you put them on the scale, truly six foot six, Gooseby's like six, six and a half, six, seven verified. Oh, wow. He can do a three sixty dunk. He has a, you know, plus seven foot wingspan. Arm length is great. Built really good. And the only reason why he's a little bit ranked lower is because he had a pretty major shoulder injury and only really got to put out about six games worth of tape. So when you combine the frame, the verified athleticism, um, I think he has one of the uh, best broad jumps out of any offensive tackle in the country. And then the fact that he's moving up in five to five a competition with Melissa, he just has an opportunity to really improve uh, in the rankings as a senior 
and kind of be that. I'm trying to think of any other ones that might be fun. I think he's probably the best one. I think the biggest, and this obviously doesn't count, but I think that fans are really starting to get upset about Arch being number one consensus <laughs> on all of the... Like, I see a lot of that of like, well, he doesn't even go to the Elite 11. He doesn't even do all this. And it's, you know, I, I joked about it with uh, my friend Kieran yesterday on our podcast, but it was just like, look, he has the Manning fan. Like, why, why, why does he need... I, I understand the competition aspect, and I'd love to see Arch head-to-head against guys in that setting. But the Elite 11 is as much of a learning um like seminar as it is true competition so why again why does a manning kid <laughs> need to go learn from you know whoever about the flight quarterback? He, he already has the yeah exactly, he already has the teaching that he needs but i can see fans getting really upset about that already which is funny because again he's been number one for the past 12 months or so before we fully knew he was going to texas even though we had an idea He's probably picked up as much quarterbacking knowledge on like Thanksgiving throw around sessions that he that, that he'd pick up on any camp circuit. Exactly. Like his head coach told, you know, my coworker Mike Roach that, you know, since he's been a sophomore, I think, like their game planning sessions at Isidore Newman is just like arching him. <laughs> like, I love it. So it's, I mean, I, I can see that one boiling over. I think that's a good one, too. But Goosby's probably the traditional answer. I love it. And again, there's this long conversation about the national guys who have never actually seen him or talked to him kind of because he doesn't play the game and check the boxes, really wanting to see things change with him at number one. But there's that's that's another conversation for another day. I think my my. I love that you said Trevor Goosby because I'm a guy who watches the offensive line. I played offensive line very poorly. I was like a negative five star recruit, um, but like I love I love seeing the big men get some shine. It makes me uh, really happy to see. So I think my my last kind of actual football related or recruiting related question for you is just or what does this say about Texas and then the faith in Steve Sarkeesian that one they they've you know been able to dedicate the resources to landing a class like this or putting themselves in a position to land a class like this. What does it say about the the administrative administration's faith in him, and then like how these players are buying into him? Like, do they is is this an indicate an indicator? Excuse me, of like the trajectory of the program under Sarkeesian? Yeah, I definitely think so, and I think this also is. Uh, I hate to use one of my buzzwords that people kind of get on to me about. I love it. But like, Sark Sark is showing proof of concept of his program and this is kind of exactly what I think he needs to see uh, show off the field to maybe buy him some more time if the results are a little slower on the field because off the field you have okay so you did have the five and seven season but instead of letting that tank your recruiting you get a top five class and you do benefit from Mario Cristobal leaving Oregon and you take Kelvin Banks and Cam Williams but you know, you close on Devon Campbell, you get a ton, like you win the NATO Amoslo recruitment. Like there are so many positive indicators from last year. And then again, you don't let the negative recruiting around another Kansas loss in five and seven deter you and you stay the course, get the number one player in the country that's a quarterback, you know, get your top target on the board and wide receiver and John Tay Cook take a five-star safety out of Louisiana that basically in any other cycle ends up at LSU or Alabama. Like that is the proof of concept on the administrative side 
to give Steve Sarkeesian that longer leash, um, knowing that, you know, it's not even just like he got Arch Manning. He was able to get, you know, Quinn Ewers to the former number one overall. Like you're seeing enough from his program's vision to make it a little uh, cooler on his seat heading into the 2022 campaign after, you know, uh, let's say what it was a pretty God awful uh, 21 season. It was terrible. We can all, we can all like, let's just say it. Like let's, I, I think, I think probably Steve Sarkeesian has used harsher words to talk about what that season was than we ever will on a podcast. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And what I love about Sark too, is just that, I don't know. He kind of, he just kind of owns it. He like, he, one of my favorite things about him, not from a scheme or anything program building standpoint, but just him as a person is it seems that when he makes mistakes, he adjusts in a kind of methodical fashion and then just is blunt addressing it. Like I loved the fact that he mentioned like, like, you know, look, we need to get younger and more relatable um, on our staff. So, and he hired Brennan Marion and Tashard Choice to replace Andre Coleman and um, Stan Drayton, who Stan Drayton did a fantastic job. Yeah. But you're, you're already seeing those two guys not just make impacts at the running back and wide receiver spot, but like across the recruiting landscape nationally. So, I mean, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'm excited just because um, – not just because, but especially – because it seems like when Sark, when Sark does have a mistake or um, something goes wrong, he fixes it and doesn't, you know, shy away or deflect blame. And, you know, Kyle and I talked about this when, when Steve Sarkeesian was first hired. Like, the level of just candor you get from him and the level of, like, just realness and honesty. Um, you know, there's still some coach speak there because he's from – he fell off the Saban tree. But uh, it seems like there's more transparency to it. Uh, so I'm going to put you on the spot. This is this is one of our – this is an on-the-spot question. How many five-stars? How many five-stars at the end of the cycle, if we had to put a stake in the ground? Like, what's your what's your thought? Like, you don't have to say who, but, like, there's three in the boat now. Like, what's the, what's the flag in the – the flag in the sand here's the tough thing i kind of think that by the time the cycle ends at least one of the two five stars of Derek williams and john Tay cook will lose their five star status oh don't tell me that that hurts me exactly but just you know preparing uh preparing fans i i don't think that it's like anything imminent but i could see that happening when i'm forecasting so i'm gonna go with four Okay. Uh, as the answer, but it's not that I think we're just get, that Texas will just add one more. It's that I think that they will end up with two more. And so, if Derek Williams and John Tay Cook, if and Arch Manning all maintain their five star status, I'll say that they add two more. I like it. That that makes that warms my soul. I like it. So. Uh... Something that we do with with Mike, I don't know if you know this, but but Mike came on our, our podcast for the first time when he was uh, during the pandemic, so we didn't really have a ton to talk about. Uh, but Mike actually launched a new segment on our podcast that we go through every week, our streaming recommendations of what we're watching. And so I'm gonna ask you to to you know what Hudson, outside of you know watching tape or, or doing your job, like what do you do, fill in your free time with? What do you, what are you and your your friends streaming? What are you playing? Like what's what's your what's your Godzilla Tron recommendation for this week? So the past two weeks or so, I've been in a little bit of a um, show hole just because work's been crazy. But normally what I'm playing as far as video games go, I love Football Manager. It's my favorite game. It's uh, I I don't know if you're how familiar you are with it, but it's like a computer simulation uh, soccer 
uh, game where it's just like the most in-depth <laughs> God, I don't need to nerd out. Anyway, it's a it's, a, it's fun. soccer computer game. Um, and then streaming, I'm going back through a couple shows that I really like. I'm rewatching Curb, uh, Your Enthusiasm, which yeah. I, I I just love that show so much. Um, I restarted uh, Game of Thrones. I'll probably stop watching Game of Thrones before we get to the last season, just because I can't. Yeah. <laughs> um, fair, fair. And then anything new, I'm trying to think. Anything new, shoot. I, I think that I, I'm like halfway through the Umbrella Academy, which is decent, but it's not necessarily like prestige TV. I'm a nerd, so like Umbrella Academy is like right down, right down the pipe for me. I love it. Um, okay, so here's, here again, this on-the-spot question. How would you have changed the Game of Thrones ending to, to fix it? What would you have done? I think that I, I genuinely think that what they should have done is just either have so i think apologies for hedging and uh, stalling you're good the first issue i just genuinely don't like the way they handled the um white walker problem i think that that was kind of the first unraveling point it seems like we led up with six seasons of them getting into uh westeros and then finally when they get past the wall it's just they you know make it to Winterfell and that's where it ends. Like, I think that them taking over half of Westeros or, you know, just some sort of destruction before an eventual climax there, even if it is still, uh, again, spoilers, Arya uh, killing the Night King. Um, And then just the way that the transition of power was handled with the uh, uh, Daenerys heel turn, like that, that (laughs) was just the biggest that was just the biggest one for me that I couldn't deal with in how they, how they handled the, um, the uh, brand uh, writing the, like everything was just kind of poor, I, I guess. So a succinct answer, a little bit more carnage from the white walkers. Um, maybe don't have Daenerys uh, erase like six seasons, seven seasons worth of character building in a weird moment. Um, and then, I don't know. I don't even think it had to be a happily ever after. I think that you could still, you know, have a somewhat dynamic finale without it being what it was. But I love it. We could talk. I used to have a, a pop culture podcast and we spent a whole episode on this. So I love your thoughts. Awesome. So Hudson, man, I appreciate you taking some time out uh, of your afternoon to, to hang out with me. And if folks want more of what you've got to offer, I know you mentioned you have another podcast, but like where can they find all your all your work? 24-7 Hudson on Twitter. The Horns 24-7 YouTube page is growing, um, and we've got some fun stuff there. I've got a new show. I, I, I honestly, my biggest regret is that I didn't have more uh, shows that I was watching uh, when <laughs> they were doing this podcast. But um, I don't know. That's there. I mean, you know, normally a lot of times, sometimes uh, we'll – I'll uh, join the Spaces crew on Twitter as well, which is a fun place to kind of casually talk. Uh, real quick before we go to, uh, yeah. what what are your thoughts on the season? Do you have a win loss record? Um, I'm stuck in the between eight and nine wins. Like eight, eight, nine and three, eight and four is really where I feel like that 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 feels right, and it also feels like it would continue the the forward progress, forward momentum that Texas is building. Like that's both a hope and and my legitimate thoughts. I've been kind of stuck at nine wins, um, and I have half of my friends who are calling me crazy uh, after last year, and another half that are like, "Wait, you don't think that we're winning 11? I 
again, like nine wins is nearly doubles what to, like nine wins is is what uh, Texas probably goes two and one in conference. So that's what se- like seven conference wins. You go seven and two in conference. Like that feels pretty okay. Like that feels a fair uh, fair expectation after going five and seven a year ago. <laughs> exactly, and I honestly, what makes me feel better is that I checked the. Uh, Vegas over under win total the other day and it was at eight and a half so that made me yeah. feel a little bit better of like okay well I'm not crazy yeah I, I think taking the under of eight is is fair like eight and four is probably again I think that's an accept, acceptable season based upon the trajectory and it shows positive momentum for Texas like it, it's completely understandable it feels it feels like a fair expectation and something that um if texas hits i will also be very happy about yeah if aiden if aiden four ends up being the floor i think that like okay let's move on and head to um you know 2023 excited but also i can't understand the fans who are like yo let's let's try to grab nine or ten and uh be john robinson's last year so i don't know it's fun yeah, I mean, again, it, B. John Robinson's last year is a very, very – like, yes, I think Texas has – like, if – and I guess this is how I'll say it. If if Texas, like, has the aces, like, if, they, if Texas draws the nuts, like, everything breaks perfectly, yeah, 10 or 11 wins probably. But that uh, – you know, I've been, I've been a Texas fan for a, for a long time, and, you know, the last 12 years have prepared me that, like, very rarely does everything break in the right direction for Texas. It hasn't – uh, since Colt McCoy's shoulder, I think nothing is broken the right way for Texas. At least uh, that's how it's felt in my in, in from my estimation. For sure, it's exciting though. We're uh, less than sixty days. Uh, Mike had a little bit of a scoop that we'll talk about uh, probably later on state of recruiting, but he posted on twenty four seven about the freshman offensive lineman looking really good. It's yeah. exciting. We're starting to get close to those practice reports that everybody's going to be addicted to. So it's going to be fun. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. If the freshman five-star offensive linemen come in and they can they can play at the at the right level, I'm ready to to set myself up to be hurt again. Like that's that's I just all the Kool Aid all the time. It's that's that's what it is. I'm offensive lineman fan. They they really they really turn my motor. Hudson, man, thank you so much for for the time, brother. I, I uh, and I appreciate you filling the the Tejas Brave role in this. this yeah, exactly. exactly. Someone in, someone out can only have one that's the rule one per podcast no i appreciate your time for having me on it was a blast um sorry for going long-winded a couple times but been a ton of fun oh man no no worries at all we ramble so i love it that brings us to the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down the 41st up it feels weird to do this without kyle kick this off without kyle but it's preseason award season it's his favorite time of year and so we got the big 12 Preseason media poll, you'll hear uh, from reactions from Big 12 Media Days next week that's happening on. It's happening toward the end of this week, so we'll have, obviously, reactions from that next week. But Texas was picked to finish fourth in the conference media poll, received two first-place votes. Coming in at number one for the first time in program history, the Baylor Bears with 17 First-place votes, Dave Aranda's squad picked to finish first. OU comes in with 12, and Oklahoma State at 9 ahead 
of Texas. So the Longhorns, a couple of folks think that Texas has a shot to win the conference, and, and I would be fine with that. But again, Kyle and I have talked at length about our expectation for this year competing, and you heard Hudson talk about it as well, competing for the conference championship potentially, but not winning it. But again, I'll never, I, I expect Texas to win at this point in my life, but uh, I also have been a Texas fan for a long time, especially I've been around these last 12 years or so. So I've seen what it happens. But um, again, I think Texas, if, if all the chips fall right, Texas could have a really special season. Uh, but we'll see. I don't know if, if actually winning the conference in uh, in 2022 is in the cards, but we'll see it again. I want it to happen. Don't hear me saying I don't think it could happen. It could happen if things fall right. But uh, there's a lot left to be said and a lot of questions we still need answers to. A question we don't need an answer to is who does the media think is the best offensive player in the conference? And that is one Bijan Robinson surprising nobody. He was the offensive preseason player of the year. One of just two unanimous selections to the all-conference team joining fellow running back Deuce Vaughn as the other unanimous selection. Texas had two other all-conference players, Xavier Worthy, made it on the first team. He's just one of three underclassmen to be named all-conference preseason. And then DeMarvion Overshone was second-team uh, all-conference linebacker. Uh, so Texas got three of the 22, 24-ish spots. I think they have specialists in there as well. So 24-ish spots uh, taken. But Bijan, obviously, going to have a lot of eyes on him. And again, Texas fans, you have to enjoy every carry of Bijan Robinson's uh, 2022 campaign because unless um, he goes against what everybody thinks is going to happen, this is going to be his last year on campus. So enjoy every single snap uh, of football you can with that guy because he is special and he has an opportunity uh, to etch his name in, in the running back Mount Rushmore of a school that has, you know, all-time guys, Earl Campbell, Ricky Williams, Cedric Benson, Jamal Charles, um, you know, all, all of those guys. He's got an opportunity to put his name uh, in that echelon, and he already has in some ways with his uh, underclassmen performances, and he didn't really get much of a, a chance to do it a freshman under Tom Herman, but that's another conversation for another day. Uh, but we'll see. Again, Texas heads to camp here in a couple weeks, and we'll obviously keep up to date with us uh, with camp updates and, and preseason updates as they come out. Baseball officially announced the new staff. We'd reported on the reports, but baseball officially announced its new staff. Steve Rodriguez named as the hitting infield and recruiting coordinator for the Longhorns. The Baylor coach spent 19 years as a head coach between his time at Pepperdine and his time at Baylor. 11 of those 19 seasons he made the postseason. A strong, strong pickup for Texas. Baylor decided to part ways with him, and Texas was more than happy to bring him on board. Woody Williams coming in as the pitching coach, again replacing um, last year's assistant coach of the year uh but texas gets a stud coach williams was a major a pitcher of the majors for like 15 years and he's um taken san jacinto college to the juco world series five times so uh, again a, a rising name that i think texas gets its hand on i think david pierce has a lot of work to do from uh both a kind of coaching cohesion standpoint and a roster construction standpoint because a lot of these guys are not going to be here and a lot of texas's high school uh, commitments and signees are probably going to end up uh, being, being drafted. So it'll be interesting to see what this team looks like as the, at the at the start of next baseball season. But uh, we know what the coaching staff is going to look like, and we'll see uh, if that pays dividends next year. But it may, you can't fault Coach Pierce for wanting to make a change to the pitching coach based on what we saw from the pitching staff, developmental-wise or lack thereof. Again, the bullpen at a school like Texas, you shouldn't settle for um, – 
straight up regression from guys who uh, were studs or, or had stud trajectories at one point. So um, Texas making a change and electing to make a change there. And we'll see how it works out again. Uh, a lot of work to do, a lot of time between now and first pitch of 2023. And finally, one of the most uh, deserving awards on campus, uh, Rowing's Dave O'Neill was named the CRCA Coach of the Year. That is the uh, Rowing Coach of the Year for his second consecutive national championship. He's got seven conference championships to his belt. That's literally every year that he has been at the University of Texas. He becomes just the second coach to win three at one university. He has five overall, three with Texas, 2015 his first season, and then obviously 2021 and 2022 for his work getting those national championships. He also won two when he was at Cal in 99 and 2005. But Dave O'Neill not looking back. Texas turning itself or has already turned itself into a power on the uh, on the lake and Again, Texas, continue to float that average, ladies. Continue to float the Director's Cup average. You all have done a ton of heavy lifting for Texas, bringing home a natty every year. And so that feels good uh, as a program that is an athletic program that prides itself on excellence. You have set the standard, uh, Coach O'Neill's group, and so it's awesome to see that happening. Okay, that's all we've got for you this week. You can find me on Twitter. I am at G.H. Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook up. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Just go to cars.com. It's magical.